Friends, hello, your GM Mike here. As you may know, as you almost certainly know, during the pandemic, we took a break from the central arc of Fun City with Lux, Viv, Lash, and TK in NYC 2101 to visit the far super future world of Stillfleet, set a hundred million years in the future. When we started playing, Stillfleet was an unreleased game by my good friend Wythe Marshall. And now, I, well, it's still by my good friend Wythe Marshall, but it has been released thanks to a wildly successful Kickstarter with actually another Kickstarter soon to follow, but we're going to talk about that in the ad break for this episode. Link in the show notes, though. Anyway, by the time the Stillfleet Kickstarter was going, we had finished our Float City arc, but they were so successful, over six times funded their initial goal, uh, that we decided to put one last final Hail Mary stretch goal at the very end, a return to Float City. What would that even mean, given the uncertain fate of our dear fleeters? We did not know then, but... We do know now, and you are about to find out. What you are about to listen to is the first episode in a short arc, a return to Float City. If you have not listened to Float City yet, please do so via the links in the show notes. And if you have, adjust your anti-nausea bracelets, ready thine Archaea tech, and prepare to tack. In the far future, faster-than-light travel is possible via portals called Stiffworks. Human and alien civilizations travel this way for millennia. Trade, war, and technology proliferate. Countless societies rise, thrive, fall, and vanish. Eventually, almost everyone forgets the secrets of the Stiffworks. Almost. 300 years ago, the worshipful company of Stillfleeters is formed on Spindle, a space station of unknown origin. They send fleeters into the void using Stiffworks in search of profit. It is 100 million years in the future. Welcome to Float City. Previously on Float City, the crew is sent to the estate of the boss, Anverder Asa Toravolt Lehrer, to fetch an item known as the Vasular Multi-Object. While there, they accidentally free a number of prisoners, including Oat, a friendly Harajun who joins them, and a Void Elf. While en route home to spin, the fleeters intercept the Void Elf wreaking havoc on an innocent village. They thwart the miscreant with the help of the Deva Shasho and their men, devotees of the multi-dimensional trade lord, the Saffron Anox, who requests audience with the crew to discuss the inconvenience they've caused. Will he report their trouble to the Co? No, but only as long as they do him a simple favor. A trade deal of his is being held up by an archivist on Kakudun. Go there and find out why. We join the crew now as they leave the audience chamber of the Saffron Anox after their first meeting, the Deva Shasho in tow.
the Deva Shasho watches as Oat and Beta discuss rooming together on spin. Shasho's hand is pressed against the cold, damp wall of the Stiffworks building, downhill from the Anox's audience chamber in his complex on Rigamont A, the smaller of the two planets controlled in more ways than one by the extra-dimensional trade lord. The fleeters, just coerced into the Anox's employ, don't thank Shasho for opening a portal back to their home, Spin, a place Shasho has never been, a place they have no interest in ever being. The fleeters do not even bid Shasho farewell. They race back to their floating hovel, and Shasho wonders what will become of them in the near and the long term. They will ask the Anaks to look and see and find out. Shasho manually closes the stiffworks, exits the squat building, and turns toward Rigamont B. Their face is lit a dull orange by the Anox's heat sink and its reflection off of the hovering moons. Shasho walks uphill to the audience chamber, a structure which has hosted an infinite number of parlays and which Shasho delights in imagining will host infinite more. They enter through the door that they and the five fleeters exited a moment ago. The Anox sits in his chair, the Anvirder's sword floating in front of him. Ah, Sasho, any surprises upon the exit? No, they left, discussing whether they would live together, perplexed. Hmm, this scenario could be an outlier. How do you mean? I'm detecting that you feel that this particular group is strange in some way. They do not strike me as very professional, and I wonder whether or not they will be up to dispatching their duties. Anxiety. Unusual. I have to say, a bit exciting, Sasha. Is it? Yes. We could look around. We could look forward in some sense. To see if they are successful. Just to get a feel of sort of the um, probabilities of things. Shall we look ahead and see? I believe in this scenario, it is wise. Prudence. I'll dip my toe in right now. Shasho gets a kind of, takes a kind of reverent pose, almost like they're praying, uh, um, or that they are in in audience, in the presence of uh, a power that they respect greatly. And so they, they bow their head a little bit uh, and bring their hands to center. I mean, it's impossible to describe what the Anaxes. If you can imagine uh, experiencing probabilities as um, weights of physical volume around you, then I guess that's the closest I could come. It's like if a Monet painting were time. <laughs> Yeah, or yeah, if likelihood uh, was an emotion. <laughs> um, uh, several several moments pass, and the room is still. Nothing is changing. It's just Shasho is waiting, and the Anox is. I mean, I imagine if you're looking at him from the outside, he's just in his blue gray man shape, just kind of undulating and 
Yeah, the air around the air around the Anak sort of shimmers and waves like something very hot is beneath him. Uh, and I think if you look through it, you you maybe would see several different copies or versions of the things around him through the haze of the the, the wavering air. And then it just sort of snaps, sucks back into him, snaps to Sasha. Yes, expectant. This is extremely unlikely. This is incredibly rare. There's some kind of singularity or something preventing me from understanding the future of this particular thread. This has never occurred before. It is very, very rare. Exciting. A little frustrating, but also exciting. What do you think this means? Best not to think about it too much. (laughs) I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) What shall we do? It is unfamiliar to be engaged in scenarios, the outcome of which we are unsure. Ah, but into each life a little rain must fall. Though we do control vast factors, we do not control everything. Though we have the ability to control a great deal, you must accept that there are things we cannot change. And we must have the will to change the things that we are able to. Perhaps later, if you do a good job, I will grant you the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you, reverence. But for now, mm, my thirst is not quite slaked. Let's look at an adjacent thread, one that we can see. Another job in progress. Yes. Hmm. Somewhere close but not too close away from this surprise occlusion. Ah, yes. Sasho, I've got one. In the chamber... There is a massive distortion of space-time. Maybe a portal to the Escheresque. Maybe something else. Something more elemental. A bending and shifting of time itself. Maybe a mini-tack quake destabilizing reality, as any being would perceive it in this room. But whatever it is, there is a shift. And we arrive in the Anox's audience chamber. The same room, but... Folks, this is still fleet, so you know what I'm going to say. Different. (laughs) But not eerily, mysteriously different. Noticeably different. The walls are no longer a dull blue-gray, but a burnt orange. The pattern tile on the floor, which once showed a clockwise black-and-white swirl, is now an intricate yellow rose. There are more things, more spoils. The Onverter's sword is here, but so is her gun and her armor. And there's a collection of Escheresque blades. And sitting in his chair, reclined, undulating, sits the Anox, indistinguishable from the form he just took. A handsome wooden clock hanging on the far wall with a long pendulum and tufted with moss clicks a few times. The Deva Shasho enters, red cape swinging through a large interior door, and they stand silently, not looking at the Anox, the Anox not looking at them, for a few moments before the door of the audience chamber opens, and in walks five fleeters, a Shudtha, a humanoid robot which looks like it's been wrapped in duct tape, a sleeper, a human, ancient and cruelly reawoken, eons past his time, to do someone's bidding. A tremulant, 
a man put through such horrors as to awaken latent and intuitive talents for controlling the recesses of reality with his mind, a gelasti, a lizard person, and a hirajune, a dog-faced monkey man with soft white fur, or, well, sort of a hirajune. He's wearing a bow tie, though. That has not changed. They're the same group who was here moments ago, brokering a deal with the Anox out of fear of being spaced by their employer. They're the same group, but folks, this is still fleet. So say it with me. Different. 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 Somehow. Different and in fact known much better to the Anox than the other group, which we just saw. Players, if you could please introduce yourselves and your characters. I'll go first. <laughs> Oat is back. <laughs> In this timeline, I did not die. Uh, <laughs> Oat is, of course, Yet. that weird Harajune. <laughs> Oat is, of course, that weird Harajune creature uh, that Mike was referencing earlier. Now, a Harajune is a cross between a corgi and a gorilla, but they're very big and they've got wings. However, <laughs> things have happened to Oat. It's been a long time. That is not what he looks like now. Now, Oat still has his classic Harajun head, that cross between a dog and a gorilla, uh, sort of golden fur all over his face. And that is, and he has like a sort of furry dog, apish, like tube body. Oat classic arms and legs, you're never going to see him again. Instead, this is sort of a furry gorilla dog head and tube body that has now had about 12 very large insect arms graphic on it. <laughs> and so, Not Oat, so cuddly. Oat scutters and skitters uh, between oh. the legs of the group. Uh, no. And you can hear the sort of wet flitting of his feet on the hard, uh, you know, synth stone uh, surface of the Anoxes. Of course, he's still got a tiny little bow tie on uh, and around his waist, which is just one of the segments of his fur tube between the legs that he's had grafted on, uh, he wears this sort of a jewel-encrusted, like, sort of gold belt uh, where each gem on the belt sort of uh, seems to sparkle and swirl with internal nebula and abysses. Very, very cool-looking. Uh, and he sort of he scutters up Beta's back and puts his head, his little chin, on her shoulder. I just have a few questions just as the person who has to understand (laughs) what the hell is going on. Like, how big is insectoid oat? So oat used to be the size of like a tall 12-year-old. I thought of oat as roughly Joe Pesci sized. Yes. I would say we're in the same Mm. category, my friend. Uh, But now when his feet are on the floor, he's very short. He's dog height. But when he is standing up on his hind legs, hello, (laughs) I am normal height. Uh, Yes. Uncomfortably large for what sort of biological form he takes. It depends on what you're comfortable with. I'm not going to be prescriptive about what's comfortable. I'm very comfortable with it. (laughs) Beta, who now goes by BC, is filing her nails with the edge of a diamond-encrusted knife when she feels Oat's head hit her shoulder. And she instinctively jerks her shoulder and goes, not on the suit. I just got it cleaned. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Beta is standing in 
a gorgeous, sleek black suit. Looks like it's designer tailored exactly for her dimensions. This is BC Beta Combat. Same but different. (laughs) (laughs) Standing a little bit behind uh, Beta watching Oat skitter around as a human the human man he frowns a little bit uh, he's still not used to the skittering doesn't like it he's got uh jelly armor it's uh, made out of an alien you can still very clearly see the aliens like features on the armor you know with a wooden katana on, on his back and he's just standing there in also another suspiciously well-tailored suit it's like uh it looks good yeah so he's he's standing there he's nondescript just you know sort of relatively tall dark and handsome probably but you can't really tell because on his face is well he knows it's a visor but not everyone does it looks like sort of a a lotus pod like um a bunch of different holes just grafted and molded onto his face you can't see anything except the back of his head and these just varying holes that are sort of changing in dimension and size because he's wearing a piece of archaeotech. This is an Illithnari visor. Initially, it was it was meant for a race of um, bug people, I think is the technical term. Uh, and, you know, picked it up on one of his adventures. And it is grafted to his face and it does not come off. And he says, oh, this is a meeting. It's very important. Please. And this is Remy. Remy Tester. He is uh, same but different. Uh, yeah, in game terms, Remy is wearing a cryptocerid visor. I think technically helm, a cryptocerid helm. He could take it off, but he doesn't. I think it would probably, it might kill him. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know if he can die. I, I'm like, we've, we've, <laughs> we've tested this in a different universe. <laughs> Fair. It's, it's really hard to kill this guy. Mercus is holding a, like a hide skin cowboy hat and is hitting Oat with the back of it saying, Get down now. Get down. Oh! Oh! Ah! Why, why is everyone so serious? <laughs> oh, you gotta keep up. You gotta keep up. We're professionals. Yeah, okay. I want to have fun at work. <laughs> Save it for the happy hour. Uh, Mercus, Mercus Meldar is a generally underslept Jalasti Banshee. Um, he has the slightest tiny wrinkles under his wide eyes. It makes him look 15, maybe? Who knows? Uh, he's wearing, like, if this could be fancy, if a black leather crocodile Dundee vest could be fancy, that's what it looks like. It's, like, cropped over his very slender top. And he's holding this hat uh, that he doesn't wear. It actually hangs behind him, but he uses it for a lot of uh, dramatic emphasis. Um, Everything he's wearing is dotted with toothed bark instead of bones, you know, like as if a hunter uh, was decorating themselves with their prize because he's not a monster deep down. So he's never wearing the hat because uh, he has a large psychobilly wedge type hairdo that rotates silently atop his head. And it always points magnetic north, so he never gets lost. (laughs) He has remnants of a snake bite (laughs) piercing, like, around his lips. You know how, like, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but, like, people who used to have it still have the very visible Mm -hmm. piercings. And to go along with this whole, like, era of being professional, he's removed his piercings. All of them. 
<laughs> all, all 12 of them. He also just starts scratching his head idly. Come on out. Get with the program. I am with the program. The program is not looking good. I know he doesn't have a face, but I get a bad feeling about his mood. And Venus. You'll find Venus over in the corner. Venus is in the same dusty robes, same quarter moon spectacles. <laughs> the group is walking in, but Venus is in a corner. Yes. Yes, he's already in there in the corner. And he's in the corner. And he whispers to someone, something, the corner itself, himself. It's hard to tell. Yes, I will be back in just one second. And then he turns and you see Venus. The same, but the same? Question mark? (laughs) Hard to tell with this guy. I wonder what the job will be this time. Yeah. I hope it's more of the same. I kind of like the, the stuff we've been up to lately. Mm, getting a lot of stuff. Yeah, but we've, you know, they've been sending us to these beautiful locales. You know, swamps. I like that. Everything we've done has been fantastic. See, Venus gets it. And Venus puts his arms around Mercus and Remy. Hey, buddy. Again with the touching. Ah, I'm sorry. Oh, are you feeling an off vibe? You said you felt like his mood was off? Yeah. Look, the Anox has not even acknowledged that we entered the room. That is true. He doesn't have to. He knows everything. He's got time. He'll figure out when he figures it out. We work for him. He's our boss. He knows the deal. This is not the first time we've met with the guy. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) Then why are you being weird? Shush why asks, are you being weird? For whose benefit just, are you saying that? Just calm down. <laughs> in, in universe. Venus's eyebrows are way up. <laughs> this is tripping even Venus out. He's like, what the fuck is going on here? Oh, it's still weird. You can't skitter around. You know this guy. He's, he's our employer. Be professional. The Anox does not look up from whatever he is doing uh, with his hands and uh, uh, speaks to his featureless uh, gray flat face. No, I'm afraid that Oat is correct. I'm quite bothered this day. No, don't, Venus, don't. Oh, no oh, need to take off your what? shoes, my little cherubim. <laughs> Everyone stop taking off your shoes. Venus puts Put his your shoes, shoes back, back on. on. <laughs> Venus is putting his shoes back on slowly. (laughs) I'm afraid we've no time to debrief from your previous task. Something, something of strange portent has popped up. You things pop up with you normally? Not usually. However, occasionally there is a syzygy of extremely unlikely events that all happen at the same time. It's the rule of large numbers, and of course no one touches as many large numbers as me. (laughs) What can we do, boss? If you could see probability, that would be funny to you. (laughs) (laughs) Anox, renowned number toucher. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Mm-hmm. No, I'm afraid um, a series of extremely unlikely things have all happened and have produced a result for which I made no plans. Did I foresee it? Yes. Did I set aside resources? In a way, yes. Those resources, of course, are you and your time and attention. 
it honest. What you you haven't said anything yet. Ah, I love it. No, I love it. I've got to learn to take your silence as consent, which I <laughs> it's just not how most of my agents operate. <laughs> <laughs> Venus is actually still looking Venus? for his other shoe. Um, he doesn't know that they've been removed somehow, but he doesn't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, five? yes. You're five o'clock. Yes, yes sir. You're five yes. o'clock. Look at yes. it. Yes. Yes. And, and there's your shoe. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and Venus is looking at his watch. He looks at. Uh, he looks at. Um, He's got a watch. Uh, <laughs> He looks at Marcus's head uh, because sometimes he thinks that's a watch because it's a, a compass. Na- no, you're five o'clock. Ma- yes, of course, yes. And uh, Venus um, does, uh, you know, spin around and grab his other shoe and puts it on. No, I'm afraid we've got quite a speed bump here. Where would you like us to go? Terra. Terra? You see, an event of incredible improbability has occurred. While we had considered it, we have not exactly planned for it and have allocated few resources. And therefore, I send my most dependable team. We thought the issue had been settled in the region, but it appears a new trade lord has arrived in the Manted Kingdoms on Terra and is now becoming quite the blemish on my grand design. This new trade lord, the details of which, of course, I am unaware, is inefficient to concern myself with such a low-grade detail. But this new trade lord is attempting to become the main squeeze of the Manted Kingdoms on Terra. And of course, if they were to do so, it would disturb my entire network. I would very much like it if you stopped this from occurring. Now, luckily for us, the Mantids are slow and superstitious. They have been deliberating and will be deliberating still for a few days yet. Then, with a large fancy ritual, they will finalize the new trade agreement with this upstart trade lord. Your job is to simply stop it from occurring. It should be fairly easy. If the trade agreement were to go through, it could mean war on terror. And I have absolutely... Look at me. Look look at me, Venus. I have Hmm. no interest in war on terror. Gotcha, boss. Uh, Question. Um, Are we uh, available to use any means... uh of solving this this issue, can we can we use every I means? I could not disposal? care less. Okay. I could not care less. I just want everything to stop. Uh, and for the regular probabilistic procession hmm. of our gaining greater control in the region to continue, as we predicted earlier. Now, this is the grand shape of things. For the details and tactics and insertion and perhaps extraction. Of course, you'll have to speak to our agent on the ground. They'll be able to fill you in on all the messy details. Sure, boss. Yes, our man yes, in Havana, as they say. As, you, as uh, some, it, some say. Huh. If you, I mean, I don't know if it matters. I think you said they every time, but I think most of you would know that if you are interacting with them in public, it is a 99.9 repeating chance, percent chance, that it is a, manted, a mantis woman. Uh, because the men are kept as slaves and killed after mating. Gotcha. Bug okay. stuff. Normal Great. bug stuff. Normal just bug like stuff. just like real mantises. Yeah. 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 That's they're just they're life. They're an advanced civilization. <laughs> hmm. Well, seems simple enough. I do have one question. Um, 
Yes, I need to take your silence for consent as well. I am going to ask the question, and this is the question. Um, now, is, how is this warlord involved? Is this some kind of a peacekeeper? Is he is he the one who's passing around these trade agreements that are so troublesome, or is he involved, or or they, or she, or whoever, whomever, involved with the uh, trade agreements at all? Not a warlord yet. Oh, soon to be. For now, the X Factor is simply a trade lord. A trade lord who has ah, trade lord. gone from a zero to hero almost overnight. I see. And this trade lord, they're, they're, they're the one who's, who's going around trying to make these uh, trade agreements. Yes, getting um, the best of us. Yes, and if we got rid of this icky little trade lord, that would solve the problem? Yes, Ah, okay, that's what I thought you said. I was looking for my shoe for most of the time, and I'm glad to have these details. Anyone else? Questions? <laughs> <laughs> Love the pitch, Vina. Sold in the room. Yes. Could we perhaps have an extra day on the front end or the back end to spend on Terra? I have Back been... end. Okay. Business first. Yes. You know that, BC. Yeah. I just, they're, they're, I've just, they have a couple stalls out there that that have these shoes that I've been meaning to get my hands on and I just I haven't been able to get out on Terra. This is excellent news. Well, you know, BC is always looking, needs something to look forward to. <laughs> As BC is talking about shoes to Remy, the Deva Shasho is walking towards the group and walks up to Mercus and produces from the inside of their cape uh, a kind of like a, a piece of fabric. And on the piece of fabric, you see words written. And you take it when you look at it. It is uh, written in uh, mantis speak or, or manted, which you can just barely kind of make out what it says. It says roughly, if you were to say it in spin, you know, in the argot of, uh, you know, like what in this game is common effectively, it would sound something like, and then there's a little picture of a drumstick, uh, like a like food, um, and then northeast square, and then underneath some coordinates uh, that you can go to, and then the word Terra. Straightforward, yes, but time is of the essence. Little joke from me. How long do we? I'm have? so glad we're all on the same team. And the Anak steps out of his throne and like walks over to you and does a really complicated high five and handshake with everybody that you've all clearly practiced. <laughs> oh yes, we each have our yeah, own one. Yeah, with you? yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah. Great. No, thanks, boss. Yeah, definitely. I, now spend the next 15 minutes describing in detail the high five. Yeah. <laughs> That's Bone Cone. I think that's Bone Cone. Mike, can we write that down, Bone Cone? We just do a 15-minute yeah, sure, yeah, episode of note. all of our secret handshakes. Okay. High fives that transgress the, the qualities and capabilities of time. Got it. Yes. I know you haven't had a rest in quite some time, but relax. This job is simple. Go to Terra, stop the new trade agreement from being signed, and if possible, dispose of the new trade lord entirely. I think I heard someone ask how much time they had. And uh, if Mercus overhears that question, Mercus could look at the piece of fabric with the coordinates on it and see uh, that attached to it on the other side, a sheaf of papers uh, that 
comprise attack map uh, that will get you to a small uh, distance outside uh, of the village that you are supposed to go to on Terra. And that attached to that is a rough timing for your meeting with this person. And it's in an hour. Oh, chop, chop, everybody. We got to go. We've only got an hour to meet this person. All right, Anox, we will, uh, you know, we'll be seeing you. Thanks for the assignment. Uh, thanks for the high five. You know how it always gets us really hyped for the job. And now, if there is nothing else you require, you may all take your leave. Impatient. Us too, Shasha. So am I, Sasha. So am I. And Marcus starts uh, speed walking toward the exit. Binos turns tail and does the same. Beta as well, continuing to file mm-hmm. her nails. And Remy brings up the rear. Whose shoulder is Oat on? Oh, Oat is uh, Oat is skittering behind everyone. He's not on. <laughs> Um, so we just left outside. We have beautiful starlight above us. Um, we see the sister planet orbiting our own right now. And Venus looks up and then he thinks, mm, hold on, everyone, uh, I need an hour. You always Again? need an hour. Yes, hour. yes, I'll be back in an hour. And uh, Venus uh, walks um, just out of sight and... As he's walking, if you're following Venus, you'll see him walking and walking and walking and things are getting dimmer and darker and you don't know where Venus is and you see stars and then you don't see stars and then you just see a hand, an old hand with long nails holding an ivory horn and Venus drinks from ivory and horn. Venus goes into a deep trance and he asks one question that has two possible outcomes, A and B. Venus will now learn what the GM thinks it would take to instantiate A versus B, and your answers will come in the form, not of direct answers, but of vivid dreams. And Venus asks, if we kill this trade lord, will this lead to war or to a simple peace and all of our troubles eliminated? <laughs> then he sees flashes of light, and then he sees darkness, and then he sees water, and then he hears water, and then he feels water, and then he is water, and then he is dark, and then he dreams. It's it's dark, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. It's dark. You hear water again. And where mm-hmm. you heard water before, it was a running stream. Now you hear the ocean. Uh, it's loud, and the waves are crashing really fast, and you're really close to the shore. It's almost deafening. Your ears can, like, barely stand it. And then you realize it's not waves. Uh, it's grass. Uh, it's like a storm wind blowing through a meadow, and you're there. It appears. You're just in this infinite uh, green meadow, and the... Blades of grass are towering over you, but they're made of sand. And as the wind blows and blows and blows, it blows the sand away and it retreats into the distance and forms a massive castle. And you feel the sand whipping against your body as this happens. It, it hurts. It burns. The pain that was in your ears is now all over your skin as the sand just bursts past you and forms this massive castle in the distance. And you reach out and you 
see in your hand you're holding a dagger and the dagger is also a blade of grass and you can't really explain how it works but you stab the castle with the blade of grass dagger even though it's very very far away you don't feel like your arm gets any longer it's just for some reason you're you know in that way that in dreams things make sense but they don't you know it works it happens and when you do the castle turns to water again and it splashes down and as it splashes down it doesn't dissipate it rises and rises and rises and you feel yourself drowning and the water comes up to your chin and to your nose and to your eyes and over your head and it turns blue and then green and then black and you see the surface of it retreat uh, above you as either it is rising or you are sinking and you start to lose your breath. You can't breathe. (gasps) And then you wake up. (laughs) Okay, all right. Uh, uh, Venus um, wakes up and he is actually standing on the steps where he um, said that he needs an hour to his uh, friends. And he looks around and he sees if they're still there. Remy is standing there finishing a cigarette or whatever the super future version of a cigarette is. Just he's finishing a smoke. <laughs> I think they probably still have cigarettes in the future. Uh. Uh, yeah. And he, he puts it out, uh, looks at a watch that he has, pocket watch, fuck it, Archaeotech, <laughs> and says, 50 minutes. Nice. Uh, yes, yes. Oh, it was nice. Ah, uh, I think, um, I think we're good. Ah, uh, let's, um, let's go. And Venus is kind of, uh, brushing himself off, uh, to get what feels like still the stinging sand and the drowning water, uh, on his left and right arm. And, um, he continues, he says, I, yes, uh, I think we're, uh, I think we're good. Uh, uh, again. And, um, then continues on to Tara. Marcus, uh, Take us in. You know, Sasho could go through the trouble of translating this. I only speak Danish and Spin. Jeez. And he's just fiddling with it. Um, and he slaps a hand onto the stiff work, just very, uh, you know, cavalierly. And he taps his foot impatiently, waiting for it to open. All right, all right. Got, got places to go. All right, everybody, brace yourselves. And, you know, as many times as they've, as they've gone through stiff works, it still feels a little off-putting and, and nauseous. And his hand starts to sink through the gate. And um, he sort of uh, fiddles with his... He has anti-nausea bracelets still. He's collected a few. But no matter what, he's still going to have a little bit of a tacking headache. Like a little hangover from it. So he opens the, the gate for everybody uh, and, uh, you know, signals with his arm. It's ready to go. And, uh, yeah, they sink in kind of like liquidy into space. It's the familiar feeling. The room feels one size. Stiffworks opens. You feel another size. It feels another size. It feels like the room gets bigger. You go through. and You don't feel any change in gravity. You feel space pinching and then expanding. You know, you're going into an infinitely tightening hallway and then an infinitely expanding hallway. And then you're out.
Friends, as promised, here is an ad break about the first Steel Fleet source book, Kadida. Do you like spies? Do you like intrigue? Do you like espionage and a setting with political tension so high you can cut it with a thick leaf? Am I describing the Cold War or the new Steel Fleet source book launching this month on Kickstarter? I'm describing both. But only one of those is a gaming product you can and should purchase with your dollars. Kadita is an extension to Steel Fleet for fans of Blades in the Dark and Spire, set in the eponymous city where rival political factions struggle for control. This 100-page sourcebook contains four new spy-themed classes, four new species of playable character, a whole new advanced powers list centered around espionage, and more. Go to the link in the show notes and follow Kadita on Kickstarter to be notified the moment it goes public this month. On the other side, you emerge high up, uh, like high off the ground. You are uh, like at the top of a structure, a facility of some kind. And I think the first thing, you know, whoever goes through first that you experience, the first thing that hits you is cool breeze, uh, fresh smell of air. Uh, if you have allergies, you probably sneeze. Uh, you're looking out at just this vast green meadow um, that you're maybe like seven or eight stories uh, from the surface of. Uh, you're seven or eight stories up in the air. Do you look uh, to your left? Do you look to your right? And in this semicircular structure that you find yourselves in, you just see stiffworks all along these walls. And if you lean over the railing that's in front of you, it's a little narrow walkway in front of you, and then a railing, and then a drop. If you look over and you look up and you look down, you see multiple other floors, just lines of stiffworks arranged in this tight uh, succession along this this thing that you're in. It's empty. You don't see anything. Uh, each one of you files out one by one, getting hit with this fresh, cool air, seeing this structure that you're in and seeing this beautiful green uh, meadow in front of you. Venus, whenever you exit, I think you would be struck by the fact that when you leave and you see this meadow, you are looking at a meadow of razor grass, which is what you just saw in your dream. The grass that you were among was a meadow of razor grass. And it is the same here. It is extremely high. Razor grass is six to seven feet tall. Here it is. You've already ticked a box uh, for what you saw in your dream. There's no one else here. You don't hear anybody. You only hear the wind uh, in the grass in the meadow. And uh, if you look down, you can see that this uh, structure is open. So there's razor grass in the middle of this semicircle. Um, and... Does everybody leave? You, like, walk down? Is this weird to us that it's empty? Because it's sort of like a metropolitan area, right? Yeah, so I think from where you are, 7th or 8th story of this structure, you can see if you look straight ahead, you're basically looking uh, southeast, and you can see in the far, far, far distance the largest structure in the Great Egg, uh, which is the big metropolis, what used to be New York City. 
you would suspect that you would be looking at the coordinates that were given to you far away from that. So you can see far away this giant uh, egg shape in the distance, hazy because of how far it is, other smaller buildings uh, around it. You're sort of in like, you know, I mean, again, the continents have shifted dramatically in a hundred million years. So the metaphor is hanging on by a bare thread. You're, uh, you know, you're in New Paltz. Uh, you're, in, you're like in, you're in like Poughkeepsie. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And you can see the outline of the city, uh, and it's, you know, uh, it's huge. It's if you were there, you know, this is a gargantuan structure. And you know that where you need to go is basically behind you from where you are, but you need to exit this thing first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Marcus is looking at the fabric map and turning it in his hands. And then he, he kind of turns around, looks where his hair is pointing, and says, oh, okay. I'm oriented now, I think. You're probably towards the egg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to yeah. double check. Just want to double check with the coordinates. Can't be too sure, Marcus. All right, where are the <laughs> stairs to this thing? This is way too hot. You know, Sasho needs to put more information about every gate that we're going through. This is so irresponsible. I know, buddy. I got the feeling this was a rush job. It is. It is strange. I've never, never in all of our jobs with the Inox has he, has he had been so foggy about the details of what could potentially happen. I think it's a good sign. He's giving us responsibility. Mm. We have discretion. We're being trusted to figure out the mission. And look, even if we fuck it up, which we won't, war is fine. We know how to do that. That's fine. You know, it's maybe annoying for him. It's Uh like, you know, we won't get paid as much. He will be unhappy. But it's not. This is a low stakes job. You know, we do what we're best at, which is solving problems. We do it efficiently. This is this is a good sign. I think this is great. Venus runs his hands ac- across a blade of the razor glass, uh, recollecting his, his uh, vision, and says, well, I would prefer no war take place, but, but perhaps you're right. Perhaps this is just a test. Um, uh, he, he's holding his cards close to his, to, to his breast to, to, um, to, to uh, test us. I, I believe you're right. This is a good sign, and, and, and I believe that we have every reason to believe that this will go well. And Venus recalls, um, gently recalls drowning in his dream. And I just want to say, Venus, if it doesn't go well, that is not our problem. Okay, sure, yes, maybe not. <laughs> Even if we do do the job and, you know, we do everything right, and there is a war anyway, not our problem. That's somebody else's problem. He might make it yeah, our that's problem. A diff, but that's a diff, but that's down the line. That's a different problem. Right now, we don't have to worry about it. BC is um, over where Venus is and looking down at the grass. And she, she takes a pair of scissors and snips at the top of a piece of razor grass and puts it into a fold of uh, her book that she carries. Fascinating grass. Beautiful. So one of the things about razor grass is that the interior of it produces a strong adhesive, so that book is now sealed shut. Ooh, good. I I wasn't reading it anyway. We're so optimistic. I love it. Remy notices this and says, "Do you want do you want the book back?" I think I might I can Do you want the book or the grass or both or what? I would like the grass. You guys are talking as you're walking down, you're pushing through the grass, you're going, you're following Marcus's hair in the direction that you're supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. It, yes. it's like two feet 
tall, the hair itself. So you could, it, Mercus is like a little sim walking around. Uh, Remy <laughs> takes the book from BC and uses his nanites to just devour the book uh, and leave the grass and hands the grass to Beta. There you go. Oof, I know someone who would pay top dollar for something like this. Who? No need to know my connections. Oh, you're always asking who, who, who? Who'd you have dinner with? Who'd you go to lunch with? I'm interested in your life. <laughs> We're friends. <laughs> you guys never let me have fun at work. We're always working. You're my only people I see. Yes, also, I, you I, should know the answer to that question. It's yeah, us. At BC, I don't think asking who you had your meals with is, is overly invasive. Uh, I think it's a pretty reasonable question. Maybe I like to keep my dating profile private. Dating, that's a good one. Mixing love and business, I see. <laughs> <laughs> you walk for a number of minutes, about a 20-minute walk, and you finally, after pushing through, you know, thousands of blades of razor grass, you push, whoever's out front, I assume it's Mercus, pushes through, and you hit a clearing uh, where... There's no more grass. And you see a, a village. Uh, it's a little complicated. We'll talk about why. Hmm. You know that this village is spelled in your language XKSZX. Mantid is uh, a very complicated language. It's mostly buzzes and clicks and it's lots of fricatives uh, and mostly sibilance. The closest way that you can pronounce this, uh, the name of this village, this small town, is Kizik. So you can see all of Kizik uh, from end to end from this clearing. You're a little bit far away from it. It'll take you a few minutes to cross the clearing. The main egg, every mantid village has one main egg, uh, is this uh, greenish structure that's uh, not much larger than the semicircular Stiffworks building that you just left a few minutes ago. So maybe eight or nine stories. Uh, as far as eggs go, uh, mantid eggs, not large. And around it, you see a bunch of uneven, uh, bulbous, kind of mucusy structures, most of them off-white and a kind of dull yellow that comprise the collective homes of the mantids, uh, their shops, uh, the places where they do business, where they uh, store food and all these other things. At the base of all of this, towards the ground, on the ground, are all of the stalls and shops uh, that... BC was talking about previously. And all of the stalls and shops are basically made from woven, dried-out razor grass, which is a very stable building material, uh, not least of the reasons being its thickness and the fact that it has an adhesive built into it. So you can see food, shopping, all kinds of things. And you can see from the distance, from where you are, it's, it's busy. There are a lot of manted people out. You know, manted people are seven, eight feet tall. So, uh, you know, you can see them very clearly walking around doing their business. Are you telling me the mantids are as tall as a blade Taller. of razor grass? Oh, yeah, my God. It's seven to eight feet tall. Wow. The razor grass is six to seven feet tall. You're telling me yeah. they're taller than the razor grass. Oh, <laughs> some of them. You're talking about short kings <laughs> in the mantid kingdom? <laughs> <laughs> And these are mostly women? <laughs> a woman can be a short king. It's an advanced society. Holy <laughs> shit. The clock is ticking. Let's find our uh, mantid connection ASAP, please. You start crossing the clearing uh, to the meeting spot that you have in your 
your piece of fabric that Chachot gave you. The other thing you notice about this place uh, is that in addition to the classically manted architecture, to the north, you see these two massive bright white buildings uh, that have machines on the side of them. Those machines are called diners. You might know diners from your travels. Uh, These are things from the mall planet Narcosa uh, that are used to destroy and construct edifices called the plots. Uh, They are basically builder robots that adhere to the side of tall buildings and extrude building material as they go up and consume building material as they go down if they need it for higher and higher floors. So you see two massive bright white buildings to the north um, with these bright red diner robots on them. And then slightly further north, what I think we would call a ziggurat a towering stepped pyramid uh, that is taller than Kizik's central egg and surrounded by a black undulating fence at which it's stationed at regular intervals are a number of four-armed, armed unhumans. You're on Terra, the unhuman kingdoms are further to the east, so it's not strange to see unhumans uh, around on the various uh, Terran continents. And between the perimeter fence that's around the ziggurat and the base of the ziggurat, uh, you just see, just barely over the top of the fence, piles and piles of machines, technology, weapons, clothing, robotics, you name it, goods, what in game terms we would call archaeotech unbelievable amounts of trade goods tended to entirely by a legion of vat gnomes shuttling it this way and that repairing it organizing it very very busy uh very active you cross you're crossing the clearing and you're not far away is there anything that you want to do before you hit your meeting place and Remy use the visor and just get like a sit rep. Can he just look and see? Like, can you tell me what this visor can do and just like some of the basic functions so I can figure out how to use it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> You're not going to like the answer. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be bad. I like that it's bad. <laughs> get ready to suck, I didn't, everybody. I didn't get to use the last game. Look, man, I'm just trying to see what, what's going on. Here's the thing about the visor, is the visor is controlled, it's on your face, but it's implanted through your nose into your brain. Another nose thing. Fascinating. So it can do anything that you can think of. Oh my god. Uh, So what it does is it shoots beams of various kinds, and it extends your sight, hearing, and olfactory senses. Um, The problem is that it is engineered for a bug brain. And the operating system uh, that is on it is entirely olfactory. In order for you to navigate the menus, essentially, it produces smells. And I think, you know, you've had it for a little while. So, you know, you know roughly some of the things that it can do and that it like if you smell lilac and then pickles and then fresh tar, like you're in the right place for doing certain things. But again, engineered for a bug brain uh so you know you have to score pretty high on your role to get it to do exactly what you want but it will do most things you can think of within those sensory parameters you know what that's good mm. no i'll just leave it at that then for now <laughs> okay because it's like i i don't feel like burning grit to like do something 
think, I got to think about how I want to use it, basically. So I'm, I'm, I just need to get all okay. the information. All right. Brain. You're pointing your lotus pod face around, trying to see if you see anything good. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. No one else wants to do anything else? No. Well, we should go and visit our contact. So you, Mercus, mm-hmm. you look at the map and you see in the square that you're in exactly the place that you're supposed to be. It's a small shack made of uh, dried, weaved razor grass uh, held together with what looks like a spit almost, like just gross <laughs> like mucus uh, globules on the sides. And it's crowded. Uh, it's crowded inside this shack. It's crowded outside this shack. Uh, it is even crowded on top of the shack. There are mantis people on top of it, and it all looks like they're eating. And as you get closer and closer and closer, uh, all of you, and probably Remy before everyone else, you start to smell the food that uh, they are eating, and it smells unbelievable. It smells delicious. It's almost like barbecue, but uh, like floral, it's mm. kind of like a cross between like, mm. roses and peat moss, but like salty, spicy, it just smells really great. Uh, this is clearly a very popular spot. And you see someone, you see a mantis person out in front of this place that kind of stands out. And she's seated on a dried grass box scribbling into a thick notebook uh, head down she looks kind of stressed and she's dressed in a way that I think we would describe uh, her style is like a hype beast um, you familiar with this type yeah mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's got a gray leather uh, I don't actually know how to say this word sabertosh sabertosh oh I don't know what that means sabotage uh, Succotash. <laughs> She's got like a, it's almost like a um, messenger bag. Ah, oh, okay. Like a folio uh, or a saddle bag uh, mm-hmm. that she's wearing across her chest. She's got a baggy, shiny black bomber jacket uh, with the sleeves pushed up to the elbows on all four of her arms. And she's wearing a large, heavy black combat boots. And you can tell from where you are, uh, they are shiny and clean. They look brand new. Never seen a day of action. As you approach, uh, she looks up uh, from her notebook and she sees the group of you. You to stick out like a sore thumb. You are the only people who are not Mantis people uh, that you have seen since you've been here. And she begins to excitedly uh, pack up her things and put them in her chest folio dealy. The word that I don't know how to say. Should have looked it up beforehand. Um, and uh, with two of her arms, she's like putting her things away. And with two other of the arms, she's motioning for you to come join her. Uh, you know, a little frantic. You are a little bit late. And when you get really close, she starts talking to you. But she starts talking to you in Mantid, which sounds like someone running their finger along a comb while blowing on the edge of a piece of uh, wax paper. You don't know what she says. Do we have any communicators that... Yeah, Mercus is just uh, waving his little fabric uh, very politely. Uh, you're muted. Could you just turn on your little translation box? She looks very embarrassed, and then she uh, stops rubbing her arms together uh, and her legs and stops, like, you know, cracking her chitinous uh, shell. And she raises an arm. You see a little silver box underneath. She flicks it on, and you hear a speaker crackle, and then you hear the raspy voice uh, come out of it, and she says, Oh, sorry. Very, very sorry. Very sorry. Uh, My name is... And then she says... 
again, something that doesn't translate, uh, like more just clicks and rubs. It's uh, it's really nice to meet you. I, I, I very, I, I'm really, I'm really excited uh, that you know. Uh, uh, and then she like stops, calms down, sits, and says, "Hello." Hello. My name is Cellar Door. It's very nice to meet you. Cellar Door. It's nice to meet you too. That is an extremely pleasant name. What the hell? Hello, Miss Door. I I, re- I thank you for saying so. I read that the ancients thought it was the most beautiful phrase, and I don't understand why anybody was ever named anything but the most beautiful phrase. Then everybody would be Celador. That's why Mercus is the boss. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. <laughs> now, Celador, I, ha- I I hate to do this, but can we do we find a more private place to talk? I noticed there's some people around here giving Remy some weird looks. He's kind of a weirdo. <laughs> Uh, sure enough, you look around and everybody is looking at Oat. At Oat, yes. I was about yeah. to say. But yeah, they're all yeah. looking at the little bug dog. Yeah, the bug yeah. dog? The bug gorilla dog? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Remy. They just never seen a blutter before. I am never going to respect your <laughs> arms and legs. I didn't ask you to. And he's popping and locking with half of his legs. <laughs> yeah. This location doesn't seem to be very secure for our conversation. Please, uh, Celador, lead us uh, somewhere more private. Yeah, I think you would also feel like everybody is listening because you are the only people that are speaking tonally. Um, and so it just rises above all the other manted speech. It's very easy to hear what you're saying. Whether anyone can understand you, question mark. But you make a good point. Um, Celador says, uh, yeah, um... Are are you? Is it? Uh, listen, I'm. And she leans in and she turns the volume down on her Babel box. Um, I'm kind of new, uh, and I don't have like any secret places. So is it okay? Can we just? I mean, it's a little messy, but can we go to my apartment? Yes, inside. It's really yeah. alone and inside anyway. It would be good. I would love to see where you live. <laughs> she stands up. Uh, she's she's tall. She's like a foot or two taller than most of you and like, you know, maybe eight feet taller than Oat. <laughs> and says, right, right this way. And starts to walk uh, around uh, the shops to one of the large uh, white mucusy buildings and inside and you go up a set of stairs and everything in here is very well constructed, but it's all very organic. Uh, There's nothing approaching a corner. There are no sharp edges. Uh, Everything is sort of bulbous and everything is slightly wet. It's all just kind of sticky. Um, I don't know if this would be sort of upsetting to be see in any way, uh, but like everything is maybe from your perspective a little dirty, a little gross, uh, though for the manted people this is, you know, they're aliens, so to them, goo is quite normal as the tweet goes. What does it smell like, Mike? Um, it smells really sweet. Mm. Uh, it smells kind of like a cross between honey and honestly, spit. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah. that's not the worst. I think that's my mark, is if I go somewhere wet and it smells bad, that's much, much worse than if it smells yeah. good. Yeah, it's like maybe kind of waxy, too, sure. but it's not unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
there are no doors, so you go into a blob. Uh, she just turns, and uh, you go into this roundish room uh, that has a window uh, looking out into a meadow of razor grass. You can see uh, the great egg in the distance, and there are just some of her personal artifacts around. It's a lot of black clothing on hangers. There are uh, bits of manted machinery around that I think some of you would recognize maybe from other ventures you've been on. All of their machinery, all of their equipment, their technology is uh, very biological. Uh, So, you know, you see measurement equipment that looks like a furry termite that's roughly the size of a loaf of bread. Uh, (laughs) The the dishwasher turns to the camera and says, it's a lemming! (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. She turns up her Babel box now uh, and says, uh, take, a, take a seat, take a seat, please. And Marcus puts a, a, a very polite hand up and says, are we alone here? Uh, yeah, you're alone and you're alone enough. Enough? Marcus, Marcus, do I need to secure the uh, the space? I think that's best, Remy. Uh, okay, yeah. You said there's a door and some windows? Uh, yeah, walking straight into the blob, there's a window that looks out at the great egg and behind you when you enter. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Remy's going to say, all right, everybody, uh, can we move in a little closer? Um, and I think I have two, two options for this. I can use copy to make just a smaller room out of the ambient dust for us to sit in. Or I could use foam, which creates an impenetrable barrier of foam. 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 Because it's like either I foam it or I, you know. Foam, foam, foam. foam. I think foam is right. Yeah. Do the foam. Sell a door, stand back. We're going to do the foam thing and you are going to love this. Yes, please. uh, (laughs) She does exactly what what she is told. You don't want to get caught in but you do want to watch yeah. it. Yeah. Foam heads, no. Foam heads, no. Oh, I, I'm sorry. This, your, your excitement makes me excited. You know I love it. Foam okay. me, daddy. Do it. Uh, and yeah, so Remy's going to use one of his powers, uh, which is called foam. So you burn XD8 grit. Uh, and with that, you create an impenetrable barrier of crackling, glittering foam that encases X targets, you or someone else, for XD8 minutes. While encased in foam, you can survive in any environment. A target cannot leave the foam voluntarily. Leaving the foam, you smell like burning oh. flesh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> because, because your flesh is burning or just... You know, I, there, it didn't say, but I'm going to guess yes. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, I think uh, Remy's going to foam the, uh, the door and the window. As opposed to the people, because mm. I guess I could... I guess we could make like a little foam igloo if you want. I don't know what's, what's better here. It's your foam, man. You go crazy. You know what? Fuck it. We're doing the foam igloo. Fuck this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. The, fo- the foam yeah. of silence. The foam of silence. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Uh, so Remy says, uh, everyone, please um, get close to me, but keep your hands by your sides and, you know, stand as small as you can because it might be unpleasant if you touch this. Cellar uh, door is scrunching all of her arms together and even being as small as she possibly can. She's still huge. Great. Nothing happens for a second, but Remy sort of shivers and like a cloud of like what looks like dust just flies out of him and it like goes between everybody. It's like, you know, how, you you know, when you're dusting, you use your duster and the dust flies up and it's just there. But it's like that, but it's around everybody and it hangs there for a second and then it moves sort of around the group in a rough sort of semicircle and then instantly starts solidifying like sort of 
insulation foam but it's you know cool it looks like there's lightning sh shooting through it it's like these mm -hmm. things are flashing and crackling and expanding and in a second there is just a semicircle of foam encasing everyone oh my god boom god oh god boom don't touch it that's well, so cool well, she's about to touch it with one of her <laughs> pincers and then stop welcome foam yes yes welcome foam the rules are uh, you can't leave until I let you leave. So we're going to stay here until we have the information we all need. And if you touch the foam, you won't be able to get out. I will not touch the foam. Me neither. Yeah, Oat made the mistake of touching the foam once or and twice. that's how he became a weird little bug man? <laughs> oh. I had my arms and legs ripped off by some cyborg mathematicians before they stole my fancy necklace. <laughs> Yes, yes, we've heard the story. Now, ah, uh, let us get to it. Okay. Um. Do uh do I have to whisper? No, you can. No, the foam is okay. You can yell in the foam. You can yell as loud as you want. You yell and yell until you're dead, and no one will ever hear you. The it's foam great. is impenetrable. <laughs> yes. Um, I I don't know what. Uh, so first, uh, just let me say, I am. Uh, I'm honored uh, to have been chosen by the Anox to assist in this matter. And you can tell that this is something that she has maybe rehearsed, mm -hmm. uh, that someone told her that, like, this is what you say on your first job. You thank them for for considering you. Um, and uh, I uh, I will do my best to assist you in the dispatch of your duties here on Terra. I don't know exactly what you know, so uh, where should I start? What do you need? Or should I just talk? We know surprisingly little about this place and the political conditions uh, with this new trade lord. Yeah, who are they? Where are they? What are they dealing? Yes, what? And there's a fourth one. Why? Why? <laughs> and when? When you start uh, listing off question words, she hurriedly takes a notebook <laughs> out of her bag and starts writing things down. So uh, she says a word that doesn't translate. It's a manted word. Showed up uh, maybe six months ago and uh, just started building things. And whoa, 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 whoa. What was that word you said that sounded like clicks? It happens again. That that one? Is that yes. a name? Uh yeah, uh um No one likes saying their name. Uh they just they say it. I mean, you'll probably hear it thousands of times before you leave. Um so we just we call them the manted word for spit. Wow. Ah. Mm. Spit. Spit. And Spit is the name of the Trade Lord. That's so strange because you just said Spit in your own tongue and then it translated Spit. But when you say Spit <laughs> the name, it only comes out as clicks and hisses to us. How, how does you account for such things? You know, so I think it's the technology. I don't think... Ah, the technology. It knows when you mean it in a proper way. And when you mean it as a common <laughs> word of the liquid in the mouth. I understand. Yes. Sorry. Continue. Well, we... The, she starts to explain. Well, we the mantis, we have 900 oh, words for spit. And yes, some I of them see. are good and I some see, of them are I bad. See, and, yes. Yeah. I get it. Is the sentiment good or bad when you call him this? Bad. Ah, I bad see. form of spit. Not the kind mm. of spit you yeah. do in the porno. What? <laughs> 
You haven't said anything. Please continue. Six months ago and just started building. Started building all of those things that you saw on the way in, the triangular building, the tall white buildings, and started shipping in all of these things, all of these goods, nothing that's made here, nothing that belongs to us, nothing that belongs here, nothing that should be here, saying that they were going to be the new trade lord of the West and then eventually Terra, that they were going to take over hmm. the whole region and eventually the whole planet. And I, I, I don't know. I work with a, a, a loose group of people. Uh, they said that they were going to reach out to the Anox to see uh, if he had anything that he wanted to do to stop it, because I know there are some trade agreements uh, in force with him. And that, and that um, I mean, really, the problem is the, is the building and the construction. Uh, no one wants it here. I, I mean, you saw it when you came in. It, it looks terrible. Uh, it, it just, it, we don't want to be a, a tech hub. We don't want to be a manufacturing center. We have a really particular way of life here that most of us really like. And, I, you know, I don't mm. want to sound like a manted nationalist or anything, but I think if anybody is going to be doing these things, it, it should be someone from the city, not just some guy from outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, we know what building you're talking about, obviously, because all the other buildings were very beautiful and that one was ugly, but just pretend. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But how would you describe it? If, like, aesthetically. Uh, Talk about how you hate it. And describe what it looks like to us. It's got so it's uh it's got corners uh, and and uh, facets uh, faces angles. Mm. Um, yeah, but specifically, what is it about? Is it a walk up or an elevator building? <laughs> is it because it's white? When you say that, she goes, "It's just so garish." Ah, yeah, I would I would topple I a trade word for that too. It's a crime. Humble planet is being gentrified, ruining the aesthetics of the very place that it seems to want to be a part of. It's eh, totally mystifying why anyone would do this and why people don't just burn these buildings down as they oh, should. the ziggurat! Yes, uh, yes, yes, yeah, that one. Yeah. The corners, that would, I should have, yes, the corners. corners. Yes. Ah, yeah, sucks. <sighs> I think that it's sucks. fine, but also, <laughs> that's not my job. I know nothing of aesthetics, but how have you come to know all these things? How are you embedded in this area? Uh, um, I, uh, I mean, I work independently uh, as a sort of like, uh, I guess you could say, um, a political organizer. Uh, I think uh, if, if you guys are familiar with the uh, standard uh, um, uh, intergalactic employment paperwork, uh, you could call me a, a witness. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just, I, I work on, uh, uh, you know, and she gets a, you know, as far as you can decode what a manted person face is doing, she gets a sort of a proud look on her face. Uh, you know, I work on the political fringes a little. I see. I see. Which well, is why I can also tell you that, you know, the, uh, the, so many people around here aren't interested in this happening. Uh, the local council that runs everything they're all for it. They really <sighs> want it to happen. And it's because, uh, and then the spit word happens again, um, keeps telling them that, that if they become a trade center, they'll be able to rival the great egg, uh, that they'll grow population. People will come. Uh, they'll have so many more resources. They'll become an intergalactic trade center. And they, they've been duped. Uh, they've been convinced. And so they're going to sign paperwork to say that, they are the 
the central organizer of the city, that all the government will flow through the trade lords' policies and ideas, and they're going to have control over the village and the egg, and they're just, they're going to ruin everything. All for what? For trading bits and bobs and and all these goods and like piles of ugly things that don't matter. (sighs) Tell me. Yes, my friend over here has a question. (laughs) (laughs) Now, tell me. This spit. Trade lords don't normally come out of nowhere. Do we know if anyone's backing this spit? Yeah, where's spit from? All I know is that they're from another planet. That makes sense. And is this spit very well armed and defended? I don't... Okay, this is going to sound weird. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I've never seen them directly. I've seen pictures (laughs) of them because they do these... dispatches these announcements but i mean you saw the ziggurat on the way in it's surrounded by unhuman warriors and as far as i know there's there's got to be more inside that seems a little bit suspicious ziggurat had that black energy fence and piles of weapons outside so here's the thing i don't think you're going to be able to get in easily Mm -mm. except with my help because there's an inn. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you know this about manted people. We are very superstitious. And yes. the reason that it's taken the council a long time. So it's very self-aware of you to say that. Well, I'm an anthropologist, so I got to tell it like it is. <laughs> the one type of people that do. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a famous quality of anthropologists, real straight talkers. It's <laughs> true. The reason the contract hasn't been signed is that the celestial conditions have not been, you know, fortuitous. She says this kind of with a a tone of disdain through the Babel box. There's a very small window during which, uh, you know, according to custom, it can be signed. And that's tomorrow. And there's going to be a big party, a big ceremony uh, where the trade agreement gets signed. And I think, I mean, this is your part of the job. And I can t- I'll tell you what my part is afterwards. I-, I think if you were to just disgrace everybody at that party, you would dissuade the council from dealing with this trade lord ever again. And if the disgrace isn't enough to ward them off, then you'll be in a position, if you're at that party to persuade them to leave and maybe never come back. Again, not my job to tell you how to disgrace an entire legion of important dignitaries, diplomats, cultural leaders, and uh, local politicos, and one trade lord. Not my job to tell you how to dissuade a trade lord from uh, trading uh, in his new outpost that he's invested a lot of gilder into. I leave that to you. What I can do is I can get you into the ceremony. So I have a question for you. Just let, <sighs> just, just one point of clarification. So this trade lord, it, the plan doesn't work without them, correct? They have to be alive for the deal to be struck. The deal will not be struck if they are not alive. Is that? Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Okay, great. Just an alternative solution. I have a few questions. 
we don't actually know all of the customs of manted people. Like, what would you find particularly offensive besides angles? Well, I mean, you're in luck uh, that uh, the the dignitaries that will be in attendance uh, tomorrow will be from across the stars. Uh, so there will be uh, manteds there to sign the agreement, but it will be witnessed by uh, many different uh, people, many different sapiens. And uh, I mean, if you cause a big enough fuss, I think the things that you would find upsetting, uh, I think would probably uh, do the same for the people who will be in attendance. Ah, I see. So we need to be unprofessional. It seems like a big stretch for this crew. You guys seem and I hope it's not too forward for me to say this, really professional. We pride ourselves on such things. Now, you're saying we show up to this event and we be as unprofessional as we possibly can be, and that'll turn them off of this idea of trade so bad they'll never want to do it again. And if that doesn't work, perhaps Spitz God is down and... We do Remy's idea. It wasn't an idea. Yes. It was not even a suggestion. This is just me identifying all of the options. We're being professionals. We're asking questions. Look, if it's yes. easier to just kill the guy and get out, great. But the problem is getting out. If it's easier to disgrace the guy and let him continue doing angles or something, sure, we can do that too. There might even be a third way. It might be that we um, confine him to his room. Or something, and he misses the fortuitous <laughs> yes. date. Yeah, so we give him a timeout, and that will fi- fix all of the saffron and Nox's problems. We'll, uh, we'll foam him. We, we can just foam him. That's a third we option. We could just foam. It seems like this deal is an egg perched on the point of the top of a diamond. And anything we do, yes. we just root at a party, <laughs> the egg will fall. And it seems like very easy. My question to you, Celador. How do we get close? How do we get inside this event? A hundred percent, yes. She begins rifling through her folio bag and pulls out the notebook that you saw her writing in and pulls out a sort of sub-segment of that notebook, like a binder almost, and she starts flipping through it. And as she's flipping through it, she says, there's a small number of spots that are available for people to get into the ceremony. It's a very limited uh, space. There's tickets Uh, for sale? Well, there aren't (laughs) tickets. There's objects, goods. In order to get in, you need to bring something priceless. And there's one thing that no one has got yet because they don't know where it is, but I do. And she's flipping through this book as she arrives on a page and she shows it all to you. She flips it over and you can see it. And it's a little, yeah, like a dossier, a single page dossier on a piece of archaic. And it reads in Caravolian, so in like ancient English, basically, uh, for you guys, like a- ancient speak. But you can all read, it just sort of looks old. The Heart of Coom, K-H-O-U-M, and a bunch of things that you, I think, don't really understand about what it's worth, uh, what it does, when the last time someone had it, who the last owner was, stuff like that, and then a picture of it. And, folks, it's still fleet. The picture is hard to look at. Mm. Uh, (laughs) It's very hard for you to understand what it is that you're looking at. It is somewhere between... uh, 
a potted fern, a banana, and a car engine. It's a very weird looking thing. You, you kind of can't tell what it is. And none of us recognize it. No, I don't think any of you recognize it. Okay. Um, let me let me give you a fighting chance. But yeah. <laughs> give us a fighting yeah. chance. Yes. No, no, none wow. of you recognize okay. it. Okay. What's we it fought. called again? Say it again. The Heart of Coom. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I have to say I admire how organized you are. Sasho could learn a lot from you. Yeah, speaking of which, so uh, I, we assume that the Anox has sent this ahead of us, this uh, this thing that we can use as a ticket? Um, no, we, we got to go get it. Oh, goodness gracious. It's, it's, it's at the store, or... How far uh, is it? UPS pickup locker. Uh, DHL. What's a UPS? Uh, yeah. <laughs> United the, Parcel Space. Uh, it's the power unit... For a magistrate class Tefnian warship machine uh, that's a, a couple billion light years away. Oh, and Mercus looks up into the sky. I see. I can find a way. I, I mean, I have. Wait, hold on. You, you're the banshee. Um, she's rifling through that's again, me. and sh- she pulls out another sheaf of papers and sort of flops it and waggles it in front of you. And if you take it and go through it, it is a very disorganized tack map, but it is a tack map nonetheless. To what is very clearly a massive late Tefnian war machine. Wow, what in the tater tot and I'm looking at? Venus is just staring at this picture of this incomprehensible object, and he knows that he has to go to a place that he doesn't want to go to. And so he turns around, and when he turns back towards everyone, he looks exactly like, or he basically practically is, a corpse. He looks like a corpse of himself. Just all of his skin stuck to his bones, because he has just cast... Pluck your bones. Venos burns two grit permanently. Oof! At the beginning of each game from now on. What? What? And we'll make a reason check and add my level. I cannot boost this roll. If the result is nine or above, I could hold one weird intervention against the GM at any point in the ensuing game, <laughs> no matter what is going on. If you're not in a location and want to be, you can burn your hold to suddenly appear, ready to act with whatever you need to be there, environmental suit, whatever. The GM must justify this in the narrative and can't counteract or punish it. You are simply weirdly lucky. Wow. So this will begin next game. I'm not going to be able to do anything with this game because I'm casting at this game. But um, from Venos's perspective, this uh, he goes through a horrible nightmare um, that's very much like having giant fingers poke through you and take flesh off of your bones. Um, that's how this feels. And his hood goes down and you hear him breathe. And the next time you see him, he looks like Venos again. Have we seen this before? No, this is a, a power that hasn't been shown before. That doesn't mean I haven't cast it. I, I, I won't say in canon I haven't cast it, but I will say that you guys probably haven't seen it. Venus, you need you need you want to lie down? You want a glass of water or something? Venus, you looked horrible for a moment. I have something in my medical bag. If you need like a little pick me up, you have a stomach ache. <laughs> she always has a lot of gunch. 
Let me get this. Let me get this straight. I look like a corpse for five seconds. You think I have a stomach ache, and so you yep. offer me narcotics? Is, yes. Is that is that your medical advice? What kind advice? of doctor do you think I am? I'm a doctor who treats. BC, that wouldn't help a stomachache, and I clearly didn't have one. All right, it was something I needed to do to prepare for where I think we need to go. All right. Anyone else? I have a couple of uh, stim strips. No, but I'm all right, baby. Thank you, thank you, BC. I love that you're prepared, always. Okay, looks like we have a long trip ahead of us. So, should we, um, should we go to the the works? And you can tell that Cellar Door thinks that she is being very cool by calling them the works and not (laughs) stiff works. Have you ever gone through one before? (laughs) Ah, yes. Is that a no? Do you mean no? You're saying no. Definitely a no. I have not. I don't think... (laughs) You might want to prepare for this. The first time is always the roughest. Yes. Oh, uh, um... uh, There is nothing you can do to prepare physically, mentally, or emotionally for this experience. Just know that you will have to get through it, and you will. Yeah, I was definitely planning on coming with you and will be... uh, I will do my best to not... Uh, experience adverse effects going through the stiff works. She's positively vibrating with excitement <laughs> that you all have assumed that she would be coming with you. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> yeah, hell, why not? She turns to try to leave and uh, b- bumps into the foam. <gasps> he just sticks to it. Uh, <laughs> Can't <no>. leave. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> What did Remy say? Remy I'm said, sorry, it doesn't look like you can come with us now. The smell of burning chitin fills the phone. Uh, Oof, you're going to need a stim strip for that. Are we done here? Are we done talking? We got everything we need? Sounds like it. Okay. Uh, I, I don't, I'm happy to answer whatever questions you have, but uh, yeah, I've, I think this is everything that I know. Right. Remy takes out his wooden katana and taps the foam and it shatters into dust. <laughs> um... Okay, uh, so we're going to go outside, and I'm going to take you uh, to uh, some the stiff works that I know that will get us to the coom. J- just uh, uh, no one knows about these ones. They're very, uh, you know, secret down low. So just, uh, you know, act natural. Not that I need to tell you to act natural or that, like, you need pointers from me on this acting natural. This shows where it is. I, just I know, lead the okay, way. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay, let's go. You walk down, you leave her room blob, her building, you are back out on the clearing, and she's taking you through town, basically through, straight through the way that you were heading when you were crossing the clearing. Uh, So you're going further in the direction that you were headed uh, when you were coming from uh, the stiffworks that you landed at. So you're walking further and further away from the stiffworks that you know. Uh, So you appear to be going somewhere else. She takes you through town. You're the only sapiens in town that are not mantids, and people are watching you. Uh, you know, you're turning a lot of heads. Uh, you hear a lot of excited and confused chittering, and you are walking towards uh, another meadow, uh, essentially, of large razor grass. When you hear what I think you could only really describe as like techno fanfare ah. coming from the direction of the ziggurat. Does that happen often? Cellar door stops, looks at all of you and goes, oh no, here we go. And then a voice 
in spin, basically, like in in some argot of spin. It's kind of like a cross between spin and Carvolian. And it goes, Ladies and gentlemen. And it echoes uh, across the land. And then it's followed uh, by Manted Whistle. Uh, so there's like Manted Speak afterwards so that it's translated. You are lucky enough to be witness to a great ceremony and celebration in 24 hours. And then the Manted Translation. Here, the Meadow Egg will be host to some of the most famous and most respected dignitaries the universe over. And we ask you to conduct yourselves in a manner that is becoming of the greatness and the respect of the Manted people. And then the Manted translation. We look forward to improving the Meadow Egg and our ongoing investment in its future. And then the Manted translation. Thank you for listening. (laughs) (laughs) And then you see, projected into the sky, the great image that you immediately recognize of I do, I I don't know no? do, do they do they recognize I mean I think he looks the exact same I think we as people in in our world recognize him but I don't think these characters know who this person is Ooh Oh wow Ooh Okay God it's good so I I, I had the voice before we started to record <clears throat> I can't remember how he sounds anymore Oh, oh, my God. God. oh no. I fucking no. hate you guys. <laughs> oh shit. No fucking way. Oh, oh my gosh. Wow. Oh wow. The speakers are quiet and the holographic projection above the ziggurat disappears. Cellar door lets out the closest thing to a groan that a mantis person <laughs> can manage. Yeah, that is. leaving Float City. Thanks for listening. If you like the show and you want to help us keep making it, you can throw us a couple bucks a month at patreon.com forward slash fun city ventures, where you get access to our not quite bi-weekly at this point, but hey, we're working on it. We're very busy people. Okay. Chat show fun chatty, our fun and interesting discord, Mork Borg side games and patron exclusive merch, including a soup dog shirt and just reclamation stickers. It's all in universe stuff. Uh, the designs are by Spence Nelson and oh man, they are just so good. Anyways, that is at patreon.com forward slash fun city ventures. And of course, thanks to all of our current patrons for help keeping this ship afloat. 
Hi, I'm Bijan Steven, and I play Remy Tester on Float City. You can find me online on Twitter at Bijan Steven, B-I-J-A-N-S-T-E-P-H-E-N, on Twitch at the same name, and on Instagram at Bijan Cakes. B-I-J-A-N Cakes. I'm Jen De La Vega. I play Mercus Imeldar. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Randwitches. That's the word sandwiches, but replace the S with an R. This is Shannon O'Dell. I play Beta Combat. You can find me on social at Shodell. Hello, this is Nick Gersio, and I play Lux on Fun City and Venus on Float City. You can find me at Nicholas Gersio on Twitter and in Gersio on Instagram. You spell Gersio, G-U-E-R-C-I-O. I'm Taylor Moore, and I play all the cool, interesting characters. You can follow me at taylor.biz. <laughs> My name is Mike Rignetta. I am your GM, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rignetta. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Fun City Ventures. This episode of Float City was recorded at various locations around Brooklyn, New York, and Los Angeles, California. It was edited by Sam Grant and produced and sound designed by me, Mike Rignetta. To pixel riffs, goo is quite normal. Float City's music is by Sam Tyndall, with tracks by Borrow Bound. Our art is by Tess Stone and Ethan Gould. Our Discord mods are Olivia Gulen, Kelly McHugh, and Kit Pulliam. And the voice of Artemis is Molly Templeton. <laughs>